Next up, Stone Throw with Jennifer Stone, followed at 3.30 by Free Speech Radio News. It's 3 o'clock. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is April 28th, 2009. Okay, let's panic. Aha. I, I put together four shows last night. I just realized that next Tuesday is the beginning of a fundraising marathon. The fundraisers, they will go on for the following three Tuesdays, oh my God, oh my God, money, money, money. So, the next four weeks, I'm trying to synthesize it all into one day. Hopeless, it's hopeless, people. Uh, I guess I'm back to just giving you the the labels, the fragments. Uh, I noticed, uh, listening to the news, that the apocalypse is on its way. Uh, Fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls, it's a bumpy ride. The next few sharp corners, I think all the thinkers will fall off. Uh, yes, people, the horsemen of the apocalypse riding hard. Who were the horsemen? Uh, war, famine, pestilence, death. Yeats put on his gravestone, I think, a uh, horseman pass by. Obviously, he didn't. <laughs> I... I think I'll spend today, yes, I think I'll spend today in the depths after the wonderful, upbeat show that we just listened to, you know, all that positive, good stuff about how the stem cells are going to save us. I think I would like to point out to you that the pale horse, the pale rider is coming for us, folks. All these years that I have been yammering about... uh well, let's call it, uh, let's call it our species suicide. Uh, when I was born in 1933, we had two billion souls on this planet, human souls. And if you look around now, you will see that we're somewhere between six and seven billion. Uh, a sad person I know mentioned to me the other day that it was time to thin out the herd. I said, what did I hear you say? And he said, well, you know, uh, what would you prefer, the bug or the bomb? The bug at least is biodegradable. So if we die from plague rather than from the wars, uh, that might be a better story in the long run. At least it might be better for the next few generations. But never mind. I think what I will do is I will try to cheer up 
I don't think I can cheer our listeners up, but I think I can cheer myself up by reading the world's most beautiful uh, poets. You know, they were into this mutability thing. <laughs> I, I thought I would stick to Emily Dickinson, then I changed my mind. Two things I want to mention before I get into the poems about the next world. Uh, there's a couple of terrific articles that I wanted to synthesize for you. One's about debt, and the other's about Edgar Allan Poe. And, of course, they go together. They're both in the New Yorker, uh, different issues. But uh, there's one called IOU, How We Used to Treat Debtors. It's all about uh, debtors' prisons and the old days, you know, when the solution for debt was to lock the people up. I hope you've had a chance to see the Masterpiece Theater uh, show, Little Dorrit. It's Charlie Dickens' story, and there were some shots last night I was watching the conclusion. It's, I don't know, five or six hours total. And the shots of the the room in debtor's prison where <coughs> little Dorrit's father lived and died really quite poetic i'm amazed usually the sets for these things you know they can't they can't do uh as good a job as feature films but this was this was awesome life in debtor's prison it wasn't all bad uh, anyway little dorrit yes um was it something i think no it was in the tutors the other night someone thrown in in the uh, cell, and we watch the rats come out of the straw. Then, of course, there's the one in which you have to kill all the roaches before you can go to sleep. Never mind. Annals of Finance, IOU, How We Used to Treat Debtors by Jill Lepore is in the April 13th, 2009 issue of The New Yorker. And it's absolutely terrific. The article actually explains that uh, in... America here in the U.S. of A. Uh, we were much better about this. Uh, you know, we seem to believe in uh, letting people, uh, what is that, uh, start over again. Uh, of course, they were still throwing people in debtor's prison for less than 20 shillings here, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, of the 1,162 debtors committed to debtors' prison in New York City in the years 1787 and 1788, 716 owed less than 20 shillings. <laughs> anyway, they had to lower their shoes, you know, from the dormer windows. They lowered their shoes, uh, tied on a string, and collected alms from the passers-by. Anyway, this is a terrific article, uh... Oh, the founding fathers. Actually, our founding fathers were always in terrific debt. Jefferson um, and Washington, too, um, should have been in prison for debt. But they were, of course, rich. Obviously, it is the poor who wound up in debtor's prison. Uh, Georgia, the state of Georgia, was founded in 1732 as a refuge for debtors released from the English prisons. Uh, Anyway, I recommend to you this wonderful article about the history of debt. Obviously, Americans think that we should be able to forgive the debts. We should all be bailed out. 
And by the middle of the 19th century, we'd worked that out. Yes, all you had to do was say you were sorry and sign a few papers, and you could start all over again. Now, the other article I wanted to tell you about in the New Yorker is called The Humbug. It's about Edgar Allan Poe and his money problems. His, uh, what is it, his life, his work, his art was entirely determined by the economy. If you think that uh, literature <clears throat> is esoteric, <laughs> no way. Uh, it says here that most of his work was written to stave off starvation. He lived on bread and molasses much of the time. Uh, and uh, when he died, I think he had just a few dollars in his pocket. He was dead drunk in the gutter uh his uh, death is uh, mysterious. He was 40. Um, he says, my whole existence has been the merest romance. <laughs> the author of this article says that's Byronic Bunk. Born 1809, died 1849. Um, he uh, did have a, a, a rich... Uh, well, it, he was an orphan, and the man who adopted him was wealthy. He had a rich parent, and the rich parent didn't like him very much and cut him off. So, of course, he was not uh, adapted to a life of poverty, and uh, he always seemed to have, uh, what is it, his wife, the one he married when she was 13. Uh, <laughs> she died of tuberculosis uh, an incredible, an incredible life. Um, I'm looking here. The Panic of 1837 was the one that really wiped him out. But the earlier Panic uh, of uh, 1819, it seems that in those days um, there would be there would be a tremendous. Uh, panic and then they would pass a few laws allowing people to survive and then as soon as things got better as soon as the economy began to recover they would change the laws again and uh cause people to suffer from their debt uh anyway let's see let me give you the date on this one it's april 27th 2009 and I think school teachers might find this very useful if you wanted to show students how uh, the almighty dollar determined the state of literature in America. Uh, this will this will explain it. Uh, <laughs> yes, his, his raven was the almighty dollar. Anyway, those two articles, I may have time to go over them again soon, but I just recommend them to you if you find this stuff interesting. Uh, I am so exhausted listening to the news telling me whether or not we're recovering as though we were all, you know, possessed of some kind of fever and we were waiting for the fever to break uh, the... Uh, economy is hardly uh, the the reason to get up in the morning, but for some people, apparently, it's all there is. Yes, uh, personally, I'm panicking because of the uh, flu virus. I found some notes from 1950s in which we had a 
swine flu. We made jokes in those days about pigs and so forth. But let's see. Um, back in 1918, 19, and 20, in the space of two years, the so-called Spanish flu wiped out 50 million people worldwide. That's 50 million in two years. Uh, no antibiotics then. But uh, this one is pretty scary. No point in talking about it. Just wait and see. Uh, I think by this time next week, I will know whether we're all supposed to stay home and be quarantined. I I just got up at midnight last night and started rifling through my files on mutability. And all I came up with was a woe, yes. My absolute most favorite forever is Thomas Nash. Back in 1567, yes, he wrote a poem called In Time of Pestilence. Yes. A litany in time of plague, adieu, farewell, earth's bliss, this world uncertain is. Fond are life's lustful joys, death proves them all but toys, none from his darts can fly. I am sick, I must die, Lord have mercy on us. The plague full swift goes by, beauty is but a flower which wrinkles will devour. Brightness falls from the air. Queens have died young and fair. Dust hath closed Helen's eye. I am sick. I must die. Lord, have mercy on us. Thomas Nash goes on from there. I thought of that poem last night watching a recent episode of The Tudors on Showtime cable television. We see the death of Jane Seymour after she's given birth to Henry VIII's little son, Edward. Uh, Edward ruled for a few years, I think, uh, in his teenaged years. I think somewhere around 15 is when he died, uh, once again, consumed by consumption, I think. Uh, in any case, uh, the episode of the Tudors gave us uh, Jane Seymour, wife number three of Henry VIII, dying of childbed fever. Henry recognizes it, saying that his mother had died of the same. I think of septicemia, the, the name for childbed fever back in the day. Uh, as recently as the 18th century, the doctors didn't bother washing their hands. They went from the corpses in the basement of the hospital up to the maternity wards. And Ah, uh, yes, for, for this week, the motto is, wash your hands, boys and girls. Wash your hands every chance you get. 16th century, anonymous. The ultimate, yes, this is the one we loved when I was a mere college girl. Mm -hmm. Oh, western wind, 
When wilt thou blow that the small rain down can rain, Christ, that my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again. We get up closer to the moderns. Here's Archibald, Archibald MacLeish. Winter is another country if the autumn would end, if the sweet season, the late light in the tall trees would end, if the fragrance, the odor of fallen apples, dust on the road, water somewhere near, the scent of water touching me. If this would end, I could endure the absence in the night, Hands beyond the reach of hands. Name called out and never answered with my name. The image seen but never seen with sight. I could endure this all. If autumn ended and the cold light came. Now let's see. Where is my most... Favorite. Ah, there are so many poems that we think of, you know, the ones rage, rage against the dying of the light. I'm never sure about that one. Uh, and then there are the funny ones. Edna Belay is always my favorite. Here's one by John Gay, who wrote My Own Epitaph. Life is a jest. And all things show it. I thought so once. But now I know it. There's one by Rita Dove. It's a sonnet in primary colors written for Frida Kahlo, the great artist uh, who suffered so much uh, before she died. Rita Dove, once our poet laureate, she wrote this sonnet in primary colors. This is for the woman with one black wing perched over her eyes, lovely Frida, erect among parrots, in the stern petticoats of the peasant, who painted herself a present, wild flowers entwining the plaster corset her spine resides in. That flaming pillar, this priestess in the romance of mirrors. Each night she lay down in pain and rose to the celluloid butterflies of her beloved dead. Lenin and Marx and Stalin arrayed at the footstead and rose to her easel the hundred dogs panting like children along the graveled walks of the garden, Diego's love, a skull, in the circular window of the thumbprint, searing her immutable brow. Here's one by Audrey Lord. No longer with us. Audrey's gone now. Uh, it's called For the Record in Memory of Eleanor Bumpers. Okay. 
call out the colored girls and the ones who call themselves black and the ones who hate the word nigger and the ones who are very pale who will count the big fleshy women the grandmother weighing 22 stone with the rusty braids and a gap-toothed scowl who wasn't afraid of Armageddon the first shotgun blast tore her right arm off, the one with the butcher knife. The second blew out her heart through the back of her chest. And I am going to keep writing it down, how they carried her body out of the house, dress torn up around her waist, uncovered, past tenants and the neighborhood children, a mountain of black woman, and I am going to keep telling this if it kills me. And it might, in ways I am learning. The next day, Indira Gandhi was shot down in her garden, and I wonder what these two 67-year-old colored girls are saying to each other now. <laughs> planning their return and they weren't even sisters and the wars yes Randall Gerald the death of the ball turret gunner this is of all the war poems I think one of the most painful, Randall Gerald wrote, The Death of the Ball Turret Gunner. From my mother's sleep I fell into the state, and I hunched in its belly till my wet fur froze six miles from earth, loosed from its dream of life. I woke to black, flack, and the nightmare fighters. When I died, they washed me out of the turret with a hose. Here's one by Langston Hughes called Song for a Dark Girl. Way down south in Dixie, break the heart of me, they hung my black young lover to a crossroads tree. Way down south in Dixie, bruised body high in air. I asked the white Lord Jesus what was the use of prayer. Way down south in Dixie, break the heart of me. Love is a naked shadow on a gnarled and naked tree. Yes, there's, uh, this is a collection of poems I'm reading from here. A book of elegies, and it's full of poems uh, for those who died in war, you know, the anthems for the doomed youth, what passing bells for these who die as cattle. 
Always, yes, Rudyard Kipling said it. Ah, if they ask you why we died, tell them this. Our fathers lied. <laughs> Here's Ezra Pound. Little Ezra Pound. These... Fought in any case, and some believing, pro domo in any case, some quick to arm, some for adventure, some from fear of weakness, some from fear of censure, some for love of slaughter in imagination, learning later, some in fear, learning love of slaughter, ah, walked eye deep in hell, believing in old men's lies, then unbelieving came home, home to a lie, home to many deceits, home to old lies and new infamy, usury age old and age thick, and liars in public places. Daring as never before, wastage as never before, young blood and high blood, fair cheeks, fine bodies, fortitude as never before. Frankness as never before, disillusions as never told in the old days, hysterias, trench confessions, laughter out of dead bellies. There died a myriad, and of the best among them, for an old bitch gone in the teeth for a botched civilization, charm smiling at the good mouth, quick eyes gone under earth's lid. For two gross of broken statues, for a few thousand battered books. I was going to read the one by John Maysfield, um, about his mother, yes, men triumph over women still. Men trample women's rights at will. And man's lost rose the world untamed. O oh, grave, keep shut, lest I be shamed. Algernon Swinburne, yes, he went mad. They had to lock him up. <laughs> I'm tired of tears and laughter and men that laugh and weep and of what may come hereafter for men that sow to reap. I am weary of days and hours, blown buds of barren flowers, desires and dreams and powers and everything but sleep. Oh, yes. I think Swinburne is too sad for most of us. <laughs> I think, yes. We seem to like to be uh, cryptic and satirical. Uh, little William Carlos Williams. No, that's too grim. Oh. Uh, Emily Dickinson, always, yes, there's been a death, she writes, in the opposite house. As lately as today. 
I know it by the numb look such houses have, alway. The neighbors rustle in and out. The doctor drives away. A widow, a window, opens like a pod. Somebody flings a mattress out. That one always stopped me dead. Somebody flings a mattress out. I wish I had time to go back to all the anonymous poems and songs. Next time, next time, I will save them. If there is a next time, I'll see you next Tuesday. This has been Jennifer Stone. Uh, let us all go out for a drink. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. You're invited to join the International Day for Sharing Life Stories on Saturday, May 16th at 7.30 p.m. at La Pena Cultural Center in Berkeley. We will honor the late Studs Terkel on what would have been his 97th birthday. The Teresa Perez Band will perform along with spoken word performances, readings, and screenings of digital stories from around the world. The event will benefit the Center for Digital Storytelling and is co-sponsored by 826 Valencia, KPFA, Streetside Stories, and Youth Speaks. La Peña is located at 3105 Shattuck Avenue, Berkeley. Tickets are $10 and can be purchased in advance at www.lapeña.org. For more information, email internationalday at storycenter.org or call 510 548 2065 for more information.